But you've, you've heard and you've seen, as we've done in several of these, as we've worked our way through the book of Genesis, we've just paused a few times and done forums like this, um, open discussions where I've usually presented on a topic or subject related to the study of the early chapters of Genesis that probably is not sermon material, things you probably wouldn't preach on, but are the kind of things that we have questions about in the back of our minds constantly. Our first one was on creation views, for instance, and we talked about a variety of creation views and we examined Genesis chapter 1 and 2 closely. And then when we got to the creation of woman and the establishment of marriage in Genesis chapter 2, the end of Genesis chapter 2, we took time uh, to talk about gender and sexuality, which was more of a pastoral issue that we believe is really important and critical for our own day and time, that we are um, biblically faithful in how we think and communicate and live on those matters. And, and so as we've moved our way through the book of Genesis, we've, we've tried to pause and take time like this to simply sit in some issues that are arising from the text of Scripture, probably not sermon material, but would give us an opportunity to just hone our own knowledge of the Bible and our practice as believers. And so I appreciate the feedback you've already given on these Cornerstone Forums. We're planning to continue these punctuated throughout the year as we study God's Word together and drill down in a variety of subjects. One of the subjects that you've heard me um, reference a number of times going back to Genesis 3.15. You'll remember we talked about Genesis 3.15, which is the chapter that displays for us and recounts for us the fall in Genesis 3.15 that we also see what scholars sometimes call the proto-evangelion or the first preaching or telling of the gospel. It's there where we're told that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent and we have traced that in a variety of ways throughout the Old Testament, ultimately finding our way to Mount Calvary and the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've said that in the Garden of Eden and in and around the fall, in the preaching of the gospel, there is within it what we call a covenantal structure. There is a covenant that's there. And some of you and I have talked and we've worked our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith at times. We've done small sessions on covenant before. But I thought it might be appropriate as we enter into looking specifically at the covenant with Noah in Genesis chapter 9 to simply talk about these, these first you know, eight, seven, eight chapters of the, the, the book of Genesis and consider the covenantal nature of the, of the Bible. Really think about how the Bible uh, unfolds through a series of covenants, ultimately finding their fulfillment in the new covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we just, just so happens that we have Dr. Gibson with us. I had originally thought, what I'll do is is talk on covenant, and we'll do some Q&A together. But when the schedule aligned, the stars came together, and we realized that Dr. Gibson was going to be here for this Sunday preaching to us, I thought, well, I'd rather hear from him than from me, if for no other reason than he has a much cooler accent than I do. 
much cooler accent. In fact, one of you was just up here a second ago, and you told me I could make $20,000 more a year if I just had a better accent. I don't really know how to take that, but I'm just going to let that sit for now. Um, and so, Dr. Gibson, we're glad to have you w- with us, and uh, thank you for taking time with me to just talk a little bit about the covenant. We, we have not planned anything, so we're just going to basically chat, and then when the opportunity maybe comes, if time allows, we're going to uh, open up the floor to you guys. But I want you guys, first of all, it, you, you've got a little bit of a bio of Dr. Gibson in your bulletin this morning in the pastoral notes, but... I think it'd be helpful for them just to get to know you a little bit more, brother, before we jump into that subject. So tell us a little bit about uh, your growing up, your family, and maybe even how you came to know the Lord. Uh, Well, as you can hear from the accent, uh, not from around here, I'm from Texas. Deep Texas. Yeah, deep. That's deep right. In yeah, Texas. yeah, that's yes. right. Just a little city called Belfast in Texas. Um, I was. Uh, Actually, not born in Belfast, though you can hear the accents from there. I was born in Liverpool, England. My mother's from there, but my parents were missionaries in Africa. I was supposed to be born in Ethiopia, uh, but a war broke out in 76, 77, and they returned on furlough. And then when we returned to Africa uh, at about six months old, I was, uh, we lived in Tanzania. So I was a missionary kid. For the first seven years of my life, uh, my dad worked for a Mission Aviation Fellowship. He was an airplane engineer. So I was brought up in a Christian home, a uh, loving, caring Christian home that taught me the gospel. We returned to Ireland in Belfast to live uh, in 1984 when I was seven. And um, I was faithfully taught the gospel at a Sunday school in the church where I went. And Mrs. Gallagher, who just recently went to be with the Lord, in her 90s, uh, faithfully taught me the gospel. And I think at some point along that line, God breathed His Spirit into me, and I came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. Um, and then we were in a, in a good church for those years. Um, I did a gap year in South Africa, which was a sort of a Christian missionary work for a year, which changed my life uh, because I came across a Baptist minister who was Reformed and introduced me to the Reformed doctrines uh, without telling me they were Reformed or that they were Calvinistic. But once I started reading those kind of works, I thought, I believe this because I've been taught this. Uh, and that sort of set me on a journey. I studied physical therapy, uh, physiotherapy, we call it, um, a practice for three and a half years as a physio, and then uh, went off to Sydney. More College was a seminary out there. Yes. Uh, very good place. So I learned there for four years. Uh, had a girl in the church where I was placed as student, student minister winking at me when I was preaching. Wow. So her side of the story is very different, yeah. but she was, she was winking. And uh, I got… a contact? She had a contact. She, yeah. She, she said she had something in her eye, and I said, right, yeah, it was right. me you had in your eye, but right. yeah. Um, but uh, Jackie, I met lovely Jackie. She's an Aussie girl, and uh, we married in 2007. So we've been married 10 years. Uh, We moved from Australia to Cambridge. I did a PhD there. And during that time, I became a convinced Presbyterian. Mm, Felt like I arrived home. Yes. I was brought up in the Brethren. So I was at one point a pre-trib dispensational uh, card-carrying or (laughs) map-carrying dispensationalist. Um, Yeah, and then we 
I got called into ministry uh, during my time in Cambridge and was an associate minister at Cambridge Presbyterian. Very happy there. Uh, wasn't looking for any other ministry or job. And then Westminster, through some circumstances, I got in, a professor there got in touch with me and asked about an Old Testament job. I said no. He sort of persisted and. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing here, but apparently I have a job at Westminster. <laughs> yeah. You down yeah, that's right. Until, that's right. Yeah. Until it was time. That's yeah. well, we're we're great. We're thankful that the Lord has you in that post at Westminster. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of you in this room know that we've had the privilege of having Dr. David Garner here before to minister the word to us. Uh, Vern, Dr. Vern Porthris has been here before, which is a name that will ring a bell for for some of you, as as well as Dr. Carlton Wynn. Uh, these are colleagues and brothers in the Lord that uh, Dr. Gibson gets the privilege of, of working along, alongside. And so we're, we're grateful you're there and grateful you're teaching Old Testament there. Um, Dr. Gibson was here uh, in town for a seminary on Saturday that some of you attended over at one of our sister churches, Covenant Theological Seminary, where you actually talked on the new heavens and the new earth and mm-hmm. discussed Genesis, the early mm-hmm. chapters of Genesis, mm-hmm. which is appropriate because that's exactly mm-hmm. where we've been. Um, I think maybe one of the ways to even begin to talk a bit about covenant is to, to consider what does the term mean when we, mm-hmm. when we use it. It's not a word that we use very often mm-hmm. uh, in our daily parlance. We usually, maybe with marriage covenant, uh, we might use it in that way, or we might say, I live in a neighborhood that has covenants, mm-hmm. uh, which, which means there are things you can't and can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, can't, when the Bible uses the term covenant, how is it typically using that word? Uh, it de- depends which covenant is being talked about. Job says, I've made a covenant, covenant with, with my eyes. Yeah, a covenant with the eyes. And right. so, um, you know, how do you define that covenant as opposed to the covenant that God makes with Abraham, for example? Yes. But in relation to the covenants between God and man, um, I think a good definition is that they are a life and death commitment mm. um, involving promises and obligations sealed with an oath. Uh, so a life and death commitment involving promises and obligations sealed with an oath. Um, and, you know, there's some more nuances there depending yeah. on the covenant. But I think those are helpful basic categories. It's, it's a life and death commitment. It's a solemn commitment. Mm. It is for life. Mm. It involves death if the covenant is broken. Mm. It involves promises from God to man and obligations from man to God. And it's uh, sealed with an oath. There's some kind of uh, ceremony or oath uh, rite that occurs that sort of cuts mm. the covenant and establishes it. Mm. Um, so I think that those are helpful categories to have in mind when we think about covenant. Well, we, under that definition and sort of thinking mm-hmm. through those, those components, most theologians argue that even before the fall, mm-hmm. there, God is relating to Adam and Eve in the earliest days mm-hmm. regarding um, in a covenantal way. Mm-hmm. The word is not used specifically mm-hmm. in those first few chapters of covenant, but is it fair to say that something covenantal is happening in the Garden of Eden right from the very beginning? Yeah. Um, I, I th- just to take a step back, I think the, the story of the Bible can be summarized as God's kingdom in a new creation under his son and bride awaiting a Sabbath rest. Mm. I think it's Genesis 1 and 2. And I think that the story of God's kingdom travels along the tracks of covenant. And there are two two covenants, the covenant of works with Adam Mm -hmm. 
which God establishes in chapter 2, and then the covenant of grace, where we have the first establishment in chapter 3, 15, and then it gets organically developed mm -hmm. through its various administrations throughout redemptive history. The covenant of works that God establishes with Adam, there is no reference to the word covenant, berit in the Hebrew, but neither is there any reference to marriage in chapter 2 or sin in chapter 3, and yet we all agree True. the concept of marriage is present at the end of chapter 2, Adam and his wife get married. We all agree sin is present in chapter 3, but the word is never used. So uh, when people say, well, there's no covenant of works because the word's not used, that's what is called in logic uh, the word concept fallacy. Hmm that you don't have to have the word present for the concept to be present. Mm -hmm. So just because the word marriage isn't mentioned in Genesis 2 doesn't mean the concept isn't present. Yes. Same with sin in chapter 3, and so same with covenant yes. in chapter 2. Uh, it, it is present because the concept is there. Mm -hmm. You have a life and death commitment. Mm -hmm. uh, you are free to eat from any tree. Mm -hmm. Uh, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Mm. That is a life and death solemn mm. arrangement between mm -hmm. God and man. Mm. And it involves an implicit promise of blessing and eternal life should Adam obey. Yes. And it involves an explicit obligation on Adam to not touch this or to not eat from this tree. And if he does, the consequences will be death and, mm. and the curse. Yeah, so there's a great, that's a great point with regards to the use of the term or even vocabulary mm -hmm. from a biblical studies standpoint. Mm -hmm. Even a term, say, like the Trinity, mm -hmm. which we, we never find anywhere in the Bible that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You, you'll never see the word Trinity, but conceptually, mm -hmm. we see it all over in the assumption mm -hmm. of that. And it's important to see underneath the fact that Scripture will often use different terminology to describe the same realities. Mm -hmm. and, and that's probably fair to say of what's happening there in, mm -hmm. in Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2 in mm -hmm. God's relationship to them. Mm -hmm. When we think of um, God relating to us with regards to in a covenantal way, you mentioned that there are several administrations mm -hmm. of that covenant. So if it started that way with Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. and um, how, how do we see that theme sort of develop throughout mm -hmm. the pages of Scripture? How do we understand mm -hmm. that if he's relating at the origins of the earth and the foundation of man in a covenantal way, how does that play itself out through redemptive, mm -hmm. redemptive history? As I said, the, covenant, the, the kingdom of God in Eden is established on a covenant, the covenant of works mm -hmm. with Adam. The success or failure of that kingdom rests on his shoulders as the head of the covenant of works. Yes. Uh, he fails, as we know, in the fall, and God comes in, and he doesn't change the structure of the world. It is still going to be kingdom through covenant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's that he introduces a new covenant, a covenant of grace. Grace whereby he will save the, pe the people that are his and reestablish his kingdom. Hmm. Um, and that covenant, there's one covenant of grace that organically develops as the Scriptures unfold. Hmm. So an analogy that I use, borrowed from Gerhardus Voss, who was the biblical theology professor at Princeton for hmm. uh, 39 years, Voss had this lovely analogy of, of reading the Bible as a bit like watching a, a plant grow from seed to full flower. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, what is a seed? A seed is actually a tiny plant encased in a hard shell, and all the DNA for that plant, that seed to grow into a shoot, a small plant, and then a tree in full blossom is all in that seed. Nothing yes. new gets inserted into it. Yes. And it's a very helpful analogy of mm. Genesis 3.15. That is the most mm. pregnant verse of the whole Bible. Mm. The whole Bible is there in embryo mm. in that verse. Mm. Uh, the covenant of grace is there uh, in, in that verse. So it organically develops. The different administrations, uh, people, theologians, have given different names to them. Mm -hmm. When I teach Old Testament, uh, I talk about one covenant of grace with different administrations. That is, different expressions at different points in redemptive history. With Eve, I call it uh, the covenant of restoration with Eve and her offspring. Mm. Uh, she, God is promising to restore. By crushing the serpent, He's promising to restore what was lost mm -hmm. in the kingdom. The covenant of preservation with Noah and his offspring. Covenant of promise with Abraham and his offspring. The covenant of Israel, a law with Israel and to a thousand generations. Mm the covenant of the kingdom with David and his offspring, and then the new covenant, the covenant of fulfillment of all of those covenants brought to their full mm. expression and full blossom. Mm. Each of those covenants have a sign that accompanies them. Um, I think the sign of the covenant of restoration with Eve is maybe the skin or the blood shed for the covering of Eve and Adam okay, right. afterwards. It's right. like the, the ratification of the, the covenant mm -hmm. that God provides, yeah. a, sign, a sealing of yeah. the covenant. Uh, with Noah, it's the rainbow. With Abraham, it's circumcision. Mm -hmm. With Israel of law, it's the Sabbath. With David, it's the throne. Mm -hmm. And then in the New Testament, it's baptism. Mm. So. Mm. When we thinking about the two covenant structure, mm -hmm. the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, some struggle with the language covenant of works, mm -hmm. meaning in some ways to apply that grace was not present before Genesis mm -hmm. three. How do we reconcile that? Did God does God relate to us prior to the fall graciously, mm -hmm. or do we need to better nuance that? Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important question, a helpful one. Um, we want to maintain the two distinct covenants, um, but there is non-redemptive grace in the covenant of works yeah, with okay. Adam. Yes. That's the way I describe it, non-redemptive grace. What I mean by that is God is not responding to Adam as a sinner. He's responding to him as a created being in a perfect state, mm. uh, made in the image of God, but God condescends to enter into a covenant with Adam. I think that condescension is itself an act of grace, that mm. God is mm. graciously giving Adam the opportunity of eternal life. Mm -hmm. He gives him a paradise that he doesn't deserve, mm. gives him a wife he doesn't deserve. Uh, and so he gives him all of these gifts in an unfallen state, mm -hmm. not in response to sin, but simply because God is a gracious God mm. and everything we have from him is, is a gift. Yes. Um, so I think there is grace there, but I think we need to define it carefully because it's not grace in response to a demerit mm -hmm. or a sin on our right. part with right. Adam. It is just a, a, an unmerited uh, gift from God mm. to condescend and enter into that mm. covenantal arrangement. So, uh, yeah, I think there is grace carefully defined. Is it, is it fair to say it, it, the use of common grace, is there a, <clears throat> or would you say that that is a later concept 
to think about God's benevolence to the mm -hmm. sinner post the fall. That mm -hmm. there be a better way of describing it later. Uh, yes, it's certainly more applicable then. Mm -hmm. um, I am now struggling to recall my reading of Cornelius Van Til, no. his book Common Grace in the Gospel, right. where he deals with common grace. Yeah. And if I'm right, he actually thinks there's common grace pre-fall. I think that's right. Yeah, in, in general revelation yeah, right. and things like that. So I, I don't want to limit it to a post-fall response, Yes. but it certainly becomes more prominent there when God is restraining yes. sin yes. In, in, uh, in his world among humanity in a yes. common sense. Mm -hmm. So total depravity, the doctrine of total depravity is not that we are as, de as badly depraved, or totally depraved as we could be. It is that we are depraved in area, every area of our lives. Every yes. aspect of our being is tarnished with mm -hmm. sin. Uh, and you see it in Genesis 6 where yes. uh, you, you have the, the violence of the world is increasing significantly. That's right. And in a sense, common grace is being pulled back, back. and God is just letting Romans humanity one. run wild. Mm -hmm. And then he steps in. Mm -hmm. And the judgment itself, you know, whilst it is a judgment, there's, yes. there's grace there because God is saving the world yes. from its own destruction. From itself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're just at that point in, mm -hmm. in the text. We're about to begin, uh, kind of walk into the covenant of Noah. Uh, what's unique about the covenant with Noah? You mentioned the language preservation. Mm -hmm. What's unique about this particular covenant we're about to look at? Well, it's universal focus, whereas mm -hmm. the, the other covenants are very much specifically on a people, uh, you know, the the covenant with Eve, it's very much on her offspring and, and, and a particular group within her offspring, a holy mm -hmm. seed, mm -hmm. uh, Abraham with his son and not Ishmael, but Isaac's line. Right. Uh, same with Israel, not the nation. Same with David, his sons, not some other competing dynasty. The one with Noah is interesting because it, it's got this universal focus. At the same time, it's an administration of the covenant of grace. And I think it is actually God the common grace comes after the fact it's special grace to Noah and his family. Mm -hmm. So it's actually grace mm -hmm. to a man and his family. So it's mm -hmm. still special grace. I think it's mm -hmm. still an expression of the covenant of grace, but it has universal ramifications yes. whereby yes. God is making yeah. this covenant with Noah, his offspring, and then the whole of creation, Yes, which sort of, um, what's the word, secures a theater in which redemption can play can out. Unfold. So he, mm -hmm. he maintains his commitment to the created order okay. in order that redemptive history can actually unfold mm. within that. Mm. You know, we referred to it last week as Noah is cast as a kind of, well, we looked at, at uh, Genesis 8 and we said it's essentially mm. a recreation story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. where the waters are receding, he's sending the birds out, and all of mm -hmm. the sim symbolic work of that particular chapter really reestablishing. You know, we're back to the primordial sea vision mm -hmm. of Genesis 1-2 yeah. in some sense before creation, and mm -hmm. now, it's, now the earth is coming back yep. and rising up out of the sea again. So we talked a little bit about the recreation of the world, and we said mm -hmm. that Noah was a kind of second Adam mm -hmm. figure. Yeah, very much so. And... Uh, I, I love all that, the decreation of the world back to a, a globe covered in water, water completely. That's right. That's why I think you need to have a universal flood because it's back to the because beginning of the world. Because it's back to the beginning. It mirrors and, Genesis 1-2. Yeah, and yeah. if you want to have a universal judgment at the end and 2 Peter picks up on the flood and he yep. can only use the flood yes. as a type. 
yes. for a universal judgment. Yes. Uh, he picks up on it. Um, but yeah, you have the decreation, recreation. It t- follows the same order of the days of creation. Right. Um, it's beautiful. It is. It's stunning. It's, it's lovely. And Adam and Noah, yes, he has dominion over a new world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I would add in there that Adam has a, Adam is a son of God primarily, but he operates in three offices of prophet, priest, king. Mm. He speaks God's word to God's world. He uh, mediates God's blessing as a priest. He is to subdue the creation as king. Mm-hmm. And Noah actually exhibits all of those three offices. Mm-hmm. He offers sacrifices mm-hmm. on Mount Ararat when he comes off. Right. He is a preacher of righteousness, mm-hmm. so a prophet, mm-hmm. and he is like a king. king He's to have dominion. So Noah is prophet, priest, king. Abraham, mm-hmm. prophet, priest, king. He mm-hmm. is called a prophet with yes. Abimelech. He offers sacrifices. He uh, roams the land like a king. Kings will come from him. Yes. Uh, you see it with uh, Moses, Joshua. Joshua's like a proto-king, but yes. he's a prophet. Yes. He is a priest offering sacrifices. And then you yes. get the offices with David. Yes. And then with Solomon. Yes. Obviously to On Christ. Through. You see yeah. this pattern continue to yeah. unfold through the yeah. pages. And, of and it's there with Noah. You mentioned Abraham. Maybe we'll jump. Let's jump there just to talk a little. That's mm. the one we tend to zero in on in mm. some ways, since the the redeemed line narrows to this one this one family, mm-hmm. Abraham, who's being called out of Ur of the Chaldees to go on pilgrimage, which you mm-hmm. some ways noted in your your message even this morning. How does the covenant of Abraham mirror the picture of what Christ is going to do and ultimately fulfill the requirements of the covenant. Where do we, how do we see that kind of mm-hmm. take place in, in Abraham's covenant? Now, what do you mean Does that by, question make sense? Well, what do you mean by the requirements of the covenant? Well, yeah. thinking about how the, good question. I'm thinking mostly about how that, the picture that's made of uh, the in Genesis 15 mm-hmm. of the ceremony oh, okay. with with Abraham yep. and the sign of circumcision that's mm-hmm. given in 17 how all of that is preparing us for a redemptive line that will mm-hmm. lead to Christ sorry yeah that's yep. helpful mm-hmm. so in chapter 15 <clears throat> Abraham's asked to bring the animals cut them in half um, and uh, God's going to cut a covenant. And what's interesting at that point is Abraham is put into a deep sleep. It says a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And is it, so it's, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Is that fair to say it's the same kind of sleep that Adam was under in the creation of, of woman? Uh, similar, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sense in which both were God-induced. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so he, God, the sort of the the anesthetist. Yeah, the, yeah, <laughs> the divine exactly right. anesthetist. Yes, right. Right. <laughs> and uh, he puts yeah. Adam into a okay. into a deep sleep, and from his side comes his bride. Mm. And then with Abraham, he puts him into a deep sleep, which makes him totally passive in this making of a covenant. And in the ancient Near East, you would make a covenant by cutting the animals in half, and both parties would walk between them, and they would shake hands or make some kind of agreement arrangement, and they were basically saying, whoever breaks this covenant, may this happen to them. May they be torn apart. May they be cursed. May death come upon them. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is God, in the presence, in the manifestation of a, a smoking pot and a fire, He walks through the cut animals. Abraham's fast asleep. And it's God's way of saying, I am cutting a covenant with you, Abraham. It's an eternal covenant. And I will be the one who takes the curse if this is broken between us. Mm-hmm. 
God, it's, it's like a unilateral arrangement. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is passive in that sense. And that, I think, ultimately comes to its fulfillment in Christ, who himself is crucified, mm-hmm. torn apart in mm-hmm. the making of the new covenant, mm-hmm. um, and that he takes upon himself the responsibility of other people breaking it. Mm-hmm. Um, as regards circumcision, that's an interesting expression of the same covenant because now you have obligations on Abraham. Mm. So the way I talk about the covenantal arrangement is grace law. The order is grace law. And what I mean by that is God Mm -hmm. starts or initiates a covenant by grace. This Mm. is in the covenant of grace. And then he expects obedience and, Mm. you know, love and devotion in response to his Mm. grace. Mm. So I talk about grace law and you see it in chapter 17, walk before me and be blameless. So he's already established the covenant in chapter 15. Mm-hmm. Come chapter 17, he says, walk before me and be blameless, Abraham. Mm-hmm. So you now have a, have a responsibility, Abraham. Yes. If you're going to be in a covenant with me, there's a certain way that you live. Yes. You're adopted into my family, mm-hmm. and I act like it. Yes. So that's part of the covenantal arrangement there. And, and then he commands him to keep the law of circumcision, uh, the, the the right of circumcision. Um, that is the, the cutting of the old flesh. It, it, mm-hmm. It's a sign of the mortification of the flesh, of righteousness that he mm-hmm. receives by faith. Uh, the beautiful thing about circumcision with Abraham, it's given to him, to his offspring, and to foreigners in his house. It is. So you have there with Abraham this beautiful picture of the, of the gospel for the world. Mm to Abraham, to mm. his children, and to Gentiles. Yes. And those three categories are picked up by Peter in two, Acts 2, 30 and 39. Right. This promise mm. is to, to you, you to adult Jews, mm. to your children, and to all who are far off, the Gentiles, mm. whom the Lord our God will call. Mm. So you have this beautiful continuity there in mm. the promises to Abraham and in Pentecost mm. with those categories. The nice thing about the Abrahamic covenant also is um, it's to be applied to the children on the third day. Um, circumcision, we, we tend to think circumcision was this weird, unique thing in the ancient years that only the Jews did, but the Edomites practiced it, the Ammonites practiced it, the Moabites practiced it, the Egyptians practiced it. If you look at a map, you're talking about all the surrounding nations to Israel practice circumcision. So it didn't mark them out as any different to anyone else. But what was different was circumcision was applied at puberty. It was applied mm-hmm. to boys who grew into manhood mm-hmm. in all those other nations. Mm-hmm. But what does God say? I want you to apply it on the eighth day after they're born. Yes. The child is totally passive, unaware of what's happening. Um, and uh, it is a sign of God coming to them. They, they don't attain it. Yes. And what's very interesting is Ishmael gets it at the age of 13, at the age of puberty. Oh, you're right. And so it's, right. it's in a sense like he will be a type of someone who attains, attains. it through his own. He earns the circumcision. Yeah, like works. And, whereas Isaac, it's grace. Right. It's just given to him by grace. Right. It's given on the eighth day, which is the first day of a new week. Right. It's a new creation. It's a new creation. It's and after the Sabbath. Yeah. In that sense, and yes. God was saying to Abraham and to every generation of Israel, mm. you do not naturally inherit these promises. Just because you're a child of Abraham, yes. you do not naturally, you need cut yes. into this. 
-hmm. What is on the outside needs to go on the inside. Mm. And you see this beautifully displayed in the book of Joshua, where they enter the land and they, they go to Gilgal. And this is the wilderness generation who were brought up in the wilderness. Right. And what's the first thing they do? They get circumcised. Mm-hmm. Now, they're, you know, they're the natural offspring of Abraham. They've just got into the land, mm-hmm. crossed the Jordan. Why do they need to get circumcised? I think God was saying to them, you do not naturally inherit this land. You only inherit this well, land if you're part of the covenant. Yes. And you need cut into the covenant. Mm. And so uh, circumcision... Is, is a sign of the eternal covenant, the covenant of grace that God made with our Abraham. It is first and foremost a spiritual sign, not a physical sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a sign to every generation, you do not naturally inherit this. Mm-hmm. So even when we do baptism with our children, right. we're saying to them, you don't naturally inherit this. That's right. It is God coming to you in a covenant. That's the only means by That's which right. you will inherit. It is for you. That's right. Because you are our physical seed, it is for you. Yes. But what's on the outside needs to go on the inside. Mm. Um, that, um, that ordering is important, isn't it? Grace mm. to, to law mm. or the grace being primary, the, the initiation, the first step mm-hmm. that God takes with his people and then calls them mm. into a walking blamelessly as he mm-hmm. did, did with Abraham. As you move from the Abrahamic covenant, there's, there's a, the next kind of large covenant that's made with God's people is the Mosaic covenant. Mm-hmm. And you have, you have that response to the Ten Commandments come. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's Moses is associated with the law. Mm-hmm. Is, 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 God in, is, is God in any way obscuring that order? Or is there a change in that order that sometimes that happens in Exodus Chapter 20, or is the same pattern, do we see it when we look at Moses? I think it's the same pattern of grace and law. So some people think the Ten Commandments is like a, 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 a return to the covenant of works with yeah, Adam, what some would call is a republication of the covenant of works. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that doesn't work for a couple of reasons. One is they were in slavery for 400 years, and I don't think God brought them out to put them back under slavery, which the slavery law does, the law, you know. Right? Um, I think he redeems them by grace and then says, I've redeemed you. You're my Mm. people. Now, this is how you live when Mm. you're in relationship with me. Mm. The law is good. It is holy. It is pure. It enlightens the eyes, Mm. gives life to the soul. Uh, We we tend to think of the law as this thing that's bad. The law is good, and it's it's a way of life. Two things in Exodus 19 and 20 help with that, the order of grace law. The first is 19, verse 3 to 6. He says, uh, I, I brought you up out of Egypt on eagles' wings, mm. uh, plural eagles, so not just one eagle, mm. but all these eagles carrying, carrying Israel you. up out of Egypt. Yes. It's a beautiful picture. Yeah. God coming to them in His grace. We learn later on in Joshua chapter 24 that they were actually worshiping the gods of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So they didn't deserve to be rescued. Mm-hmm. But he, he brought up his idolatrous people out of Egypt mm. on eagles' wings. And then he says, and now keep my covenant. Mm-hmm. So it's grace, then law. Yeah. And then the preface to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of slavery. That's a statement effused with grace. Yes. I've been gracious to you. Have no other gods before me. Yes. Law. Yes. And again, it's not a putting them back under a, 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 a yoke, yoke of slavery. slavery. It's saying, 
this is good for you? Mm. You want to thrive as a human being in this world? Mm. Then keep my law. Mm. And you see that beautifully in two parts of the Old Testament in Joshua 1 and Psalm 1, which are the beginning of the prophets and the and beginning the of the writings. Yeah. And you have Joshua 1, be strong and courageous, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, to keep my commandments, mm -hmm. to walk in them. For if you do, you will prosper. Mm. So the law mm. causes a man or a woman to flourish. And then you see it in Psalm 1, blessed Bless is the man, does not walk in the counsel of the godly, uh, etc. But he meditates day and night on the law. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, mm. bears forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf mm. also does not wither. You have this beautiful picture of those who follow the law flourish as a human being in God's world. Mm. The law does not, it's not restrictive. Yes. It's not, um, it's not killing your joy. It's actually guiding you to joy, yes. to the real joy there is mm. in the way that you live. Mm. So um, that's there with Israel as well. Mm. Yeah. That's good. When we get to the mm. New Testament, one of, we often miss that because so much of the misunderstanding of the law that's associated with the Pharisees and mm -hmm. even Israel mm -hmm. at that time is spoken in such strong terms mm -hmm. negatively mm -hmm. by the Apostle Paul. Mm -hmm. um, how are we to understand the negatives of Galatians and Romans mm -hmm. and other places mm -hmm. where Paul is, is, is doing yeoman's work to mm -hmm. distance them from the mm -hmm. law in the way that they were thinking about it? Yes. How are they thinking about it that's different mm -hmm. than this pattern? Exactly. They, they were thinking about it as a means to righteousness, mm -hmm. as a means to acceptance with God. Mm -hmm. Whereas, as we've just seen, it's grace then law. It's God comes to us first. He came to Abraham first, came to Israel first. God initiates. We respond. It's indicative then imperative. Whereas yeah. they had switched it around. Yes. You do in order yes. to be. You keep the law in order to be acceptable to God. Yes. And so that's why Paul goes hard against the law. But he wasn't going hard against the law in and of itself. Yeah. He was going hard against the misuse of it. Yes. You know, because he says in Romans, the law right. is good. He it's does. perfect. He does. Um, and so he's not against the law. He's against the way they use the law. It's yes. promise, then law. But they had sort of put law before promise. promise right. If you want the promises of God, you've got to keep the law. And so that's when we get the hard punches in yes. Galatians and yes. other places that are, are saying, you've just misunderstood the order in which these things happen. Yes. And you've misused the law in yes. that regard. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, I think that hopefully that's helpful as to how to read those passages that seem negative against the law. Absolutely. But in the same book, isn't it? Galatians 6, Paul says, keep the law of love. Oh, yeah, he does. Near you know, the, right near the end in yeah. the imperative section. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And it speaks of the law of, of Christ even mm -hmm. there too, mm -hmm. the, both the fulfillment of Christ but the call that comes out of following Christ. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, I think that's often what happens to our hearts, as you as you well know in your own probably experience, and I know in mine, is our tendency is to get the law before grace mm. in how we think about the Christian life. So we think, do this, and I will get the blessings and the promises of God, rather than God has unilaterally, in His kindness, mm. in His grace, given it from mm. the beginning, and because of His kindness and His grace, the law and our law keeping is a response to mm. the kindness and the goodness mm. that he's already poured mm. into our lives. So we get that, mm -hmm. we get that really confused. Mm -hmm. um, before, we, uh, before we escape, let's, let's note 
the new covenant, just mm-hmm. for a second. Jeremiah 31, mm-hmm. um, Ezekiel 36, 37, passages that are speaking to really a glorious new covenant that's mm-hmm. going to come um, that is embarked in in the New Testament mm-hmm. with Christ. How, how does that come about? And are we in that new covenant now? What does it mean to be in that? And what, what mm-hmm. might it be as it continues to grow? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the current state of things? Um, let me give you a quote by Thomas Goodwin. He said, uh, in God's sight, there are two men, Adam and Jesus Christ, and these two men have all other men hanging from their girdle strings. Mm. Right? So I, I talk about these two men being two giants with belts and hooks and mm-hmm. people hanging on their hooks. And, and so Adam in the covenant of works, he falls into sin and everyone attached to his belt falls with him. Yes. That was us. But yes. Christ comes as the last Adam, and uh, those who through faith are united to him die with him in his death, rise in his resurrection, and are united to him. Now, why am I talking about Adam and Christ? Adam was the head of the covenant of works, Christ the head of the covenant of grace. And what does Jesus do in his life? He is uh, the last Adam. He is true Israel. He goes into the wilderness like Israel. He goes down into Egypt like Israel. He is great David's greater son. So, he is uh, last Adam, true Israel, son of David. Son of David. He embodies all of what all the, the God's people should have been. He's the true Israelite. And through his perfect life, mm-hmm. he keeps the law, mm-hmm. and then he did, offers the perfect sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And through that life and death and resurrection, God raises him, vindicates him. Mm-hmm. He wins for us all of the grace we need to live in the covenant of grace. Mm. And through union with him, being attached to the belt of Christ Christ. as as our giant head of the covenant of grace, uh, we are now members of the new covenant. Mm. And, you know, at the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate this morning, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. It was was his death that inaugurated, that cut the covenant. And then he was vindicated at his resurrection and ascension. Uh, that that work was enough and sufficient. And that was when the new covenant was inaugurated. Mm. Uh, So what is new in the new covenant? The Lord Jesus Christ. All the scaffolding of the old covenant expressions just falls away, and we see Christ. Mm. He is the new covenant. He himself is the covenant. Yes. And it's our union with him that uh, brings us into the new covenant. And then Mm. what is the pattern? It's grace law. It is, right. we receive it all by grace, but there is a way of life now. Absolutely. And we are not to just become antinomians and live whatever way we want. We Paul says we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh because we're united to Christ. So the pattern of the, the, pattern of the administration is the same yeah, as we I go so. into the New Testament. Yeah. So it's fair to say then that Christ is the, the, the last and greater Adam. Mm-hmm. He's the last and greater Noah. Yeah. He's the last and greater Abraham. Mm-hmm. He's the last and greater Moses. He's the last mm-hmm. and greater David. Mm-hmm. All of these men in whom the Lord had made covenants with were ultimately all pointers mm-hmm. to the fulfillment of, mm-hmm. what, of what he would bring. Yeah. And if I may make one yes. more comment, you know, you're, you're out in your jobs, your non-Christian friends, workmates are saying, you know, the Bible full of contradictions, you know, it's all opposed. I mean, just listen to that this morning of how Christ brings all of these ancient documents mm. written by different authors in different languages all together right. and brings Thousands them to a unity. 
How, how could that be some humanly crafted thing? You know, it is divine. Right. It, and so I You're think right. covenant theology actually gives us even more confidence in our defense of the veracity of Scripture oh, as the unity point. of Scripture, that it is the truth, that there point. are no contradictions. Yes. It just brings it all together. It's, yes. it's absolutely beautiful. When you, see, when you see it with the eyes of faith mm-hmm. and you can begin to see the beauty of what the Lord's done in the mm-hmm. Bible, as I've said to one of my unbelieving friends, I find it harder not to believe mm-hmm. than to believe. Mm-hmm. It's, it would take more effort to disbelieve the unity mm-hmm. that's there mm-hmm. than, than to believe it. It's so powerfully persuasive. Mm-hmm. And um, God has given his yes and amen in Christ. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that. So, mm-hmm. Brother, thank you for chatting about this. So it's a pleasure. Yeah, I love it. I could keep joy. going. I know. We were Should we just, delay church? We were just getting started. I wish we could. <laughs> Don't get mad I'll at miss us my if flight. we're not careful. So <laughs> let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks so much for how it is that you have given to us the Word, and how the Word speaks to us of your redemptive heart unfolding a redemptive story because of your desire to make for us, make us to be your prized possession, your, your treasured people. We know we are not deserving. Not a one of us in here can work our way into the good graces of the covenant. We need you through a unilateral initiation to draw us in to reach down with your righteous right hand and redeem us and you have done that in Christ and we today give testimony of the fact that this Bible that you have given to us is not is not put together in fits and spurts and with and with contradictions or with loose ends you have indeed woven a rich and deep and unified narrative that speaks to your power, your glory, and the fact that you are indeed the one Lord, Savior over all. And today we've come to worship you. We have come to give honor to you, to be equipped and trained in following you. And we would now ask that the grace that we have heard would display itself in our lives with a commitment to walk blamelessly before you in love. So come now and meet us in just that way as you prepare our hearts for worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Okay. Mm-hmm.